0: All right. So today, I want to talk about embracing your season. Just embracing your season. So, <laughs> why is that funny? Uh, um, and I think I think this is important for lots of reasons. One thing I want to say about it is I think that that word "season" kind of gets uh, can get laughed at. I, at least I feel cliche about it. It's such a cliche Christian word. Right? Like, it's just a season. I'm in a season. It's a tough season. And that can be silly. We can almost roll our eyes at it. You know, I think we can use it as like a, it's almost like the new, how are you doing? Good. It's like, how are you doing? It's a tough season. It's just like what we say, you know. Um, And so I want to avoid the cliche part of it. And and part of the way I want to do that is to lean right into it. There's another Christian one for you. Lean right into it and just say, let's not, let's not just say like that season thing or get annoyed by it or whatever, but let's embrace. I think if we can learn to understand what kind of life are you living? What kind of like cross section of life is this that you're in? And they come and go and ebb and flow. It's not like one time. I think these are, there's multiple times that we'll experience multiple different things. But I just think it's worth being able to look around and correctly realize where am I? What's happening spiritually? And then accept that. Embrace it. Don't Don't like fight against it. Don't react against it. Don't try to push it off or don't try to prolong it longer than you need. But just to say, this is what I'm in. This is the, the place God has me, embrace that, and then you can get the blessing that's in it, and the growth that's in it, and all that stuff. So I just want to talk about embracing embracing your season. So, um, fall started today, right? At least in the morning morning part of fall. Uh, I would think we it's probably hot now, but like when the, when the season is coming, you guys know this. This is this is like um, so elementary; it's silly to bring up. But like, if it's summer and you dress like it's winter, it's going to be miserable, right? If it's winter and you dress like summer. It's not going to go very well very long. Like, you got to understand the season. Uh, it's game week. We were just talking about football. It's football season. We're embracing football season okay. now in my house. I was talking to the girls about it yesterday. We're ready. Shiloh knows when she sees a block M, she says, um, which is great. So she'll go get, get my hat. Like, she knows where I keep my hat. She'll go get it and put it on my head. And then she'll go get the other Michigan hat and put it on and look at me That's right. We're ready. We're going to see it. We're going to beat the Pirates this weekend. Uh, Yesterday, I was talking to the girls, and I was like, Elliot, do you know who Denard Robinson is? And you guys don't either. He was Michigan's quarterback like a decade ago. And she was like, no. And I'm like, we're pulling up YouTube. I got to show you Denard. So we're like, we're we're like getting ready. We're embracing the season. So silly. But whatever season it's in, I'm going to embrace it. Like it's football season. I'm not like that all the time. A little. But I'm not like that all the time. Not that drastic. Uh, but it's football season. Like we're in, um, you, you got to embrace the season, or you're going to miss the good. Pumpkin spice lattes are back. That's your thing. Embrace it, right? Like you got to embrace the season. Or you're going to get the most out of it. Um, so here's here's kind of your first blank here. I think this is stuff that is easy. I think it's making sense. I don't think I'm revolutionizing your life right now, but I think it's worth just like let's get on this page. If you don't embrace the season you're in, if you don't embrace the season you're in, then you'll be miserable. <laughs> and you'll miss what God has for you. If you don't embrace the season you're in, you'll be miserable, and you'll miss what God has for you. A lot of these things we're going to talk to you later today, some of them are good and exciting and great, and you want to embrace them. A lot of them are not. and It's not fun to go through some of these seasons that you have to go through just in following Jesus. But if you can't embrace it, you will be miserable. Um, And you'll miss what God has for you. God has blessing in all of these things. And if you can't just say, okay, this is what it is, I receive that. You're going to be miserable, and you're going to miss it, and you're not going to get what's on the other side. So um, let's look just a little bit here at Genesis 32. I won't um, spend some time teaching through this passage, but there's a phrase in it that I want us to latch on to for this idea of embracing. Um, so in Genesis 32, this is the scene when Jacob wrestles with God, which, like, remember I said I wasn't going to teach you this whole passage? That's because it would be a long rabbit trail. But this is when Jacob wrestles with God. Here's what I want to um, bring out one thing from it, um, though. So let's just start reading in verse 22. And um, we'll kind of draw out what I think is going to help us embrace the season. So Genesis 32, verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Already, there's too much rabbit trail, so we're not, we're not going. <laughs> After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Um, Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Okay, so lots of things in the story. Let's just boil it down to its simplest and accept it for today. We'll talk through it another time. Jacob somehow wrestles with God face to face. And he's wrestling with him and doesn't realize it's him. Once he realizes it's him, it revolutionizes the experience for him, right? And he can say, like, I I saw God. I contended with him. Why is God wrestling with him? I don't fully know. What does it mean that he touched his hip and he couldn't walk? I don't fully know. We could draw lots of applications from it, end of the day. What I want to draw out today is that when Jacob realizes I'm in this kind of struggle here, and I don't know what's to come of it I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what I feel, why I feel right now. But I don't want to be done with this, whatever it is, until I get the blessing from it. Don't let me go, he says. Uh, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. I think that kind of mindset in the middle of a weird story is a beautiful little glimpse into like when we're in some sort of contending with God somehow, when we're in some sort of like, this isn't the way I thought life was going to be. And you're kind of looking around saying, where is God in this? I think that, that mindset, that phrase is the right phrase to just say, okay, God, don't let me out of this, whatever it is. Don't let me go until I get your blessing. I think that's the mindset. I think that's where you can embrace what God has. What is it? I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. Like, is Jacob going to be hurt forever? I don't know. Did Jacob know at the time that it was God and God working and that this was a spiritual experience? I don't know. I don't think he at least, he certainly didn't fully know. But somewhere or another down in Jacob, he says, I'm not going to be done with this until I get the good from it. And I think that's our mindset. Does that make sense? I remember... Um, when Elliot was really, really sick and Joe was really, really sick. Um, Yeah, I remember a lot of things from that. But I remember um, a little ways into it starting to make my prayer, God, I want you to fix this. I want you to bring healing. I want you to change this. But don't let us be done with this until we get everything you need for us to get. Like, don't don't let us out of this season until you teach us what we need to learn. And it took a while to get there. But once I got there, it changed so much. Not overnight. It didn't make every day great. But there was some sort of underlying, like, this is hard, but there's something in it. I'm not going to let it go until I get some gold from this. Um, And that shifts so much. Again, it took me a long time to get there. And most days still were hard. Um, But every so often I could come back to that, like, God, I really, like, my deepest desire may not be my strongest one. It's not the one I feel the most. My deepest desire is that I don't want to be done with the struggle until I get the good (coughs) from it. Don't let us go until you, we get your blessing. I think that's the mindset that can allow you to see all things work together for the good of those who love him. That doesn't mean every day will be good. That means it will work out. Um, but it gives you that mindset when you can kind of hold on to the blessing. Is that making sense? Um, here's, the, here's the next one. Uh, the next kind of big picture starter. Diagnosing your season, diagnosing your season requires discernment. Diagnosing your season requires discernment. So in all of this, I'm going to go through um, seven biblical seasons. I think like little pictures we can see in Scripture, different Bible characters, Bible people who live through, you know, seasonal things in their life, stuff that's there for a while. And the, the reason we use season is because they're cyclical, right? They kind of come and go. It's not just like once and done. And it's kind of a little bit hard to define exactly how long. I don't know. It could be a little base Could could not be. All these things you're going to go in and out of. How long is it? I don't know. How often we have it? I don't know. Some people live in a long wilderness. I mean, even today, the the span of different testimonies that we got to hear, right? Drastically different stories, all of which point to God's faithfulness, all of which point to faithful cooperation that leads you into his obedience, all of which point to his redemption, all those things. The three different paths to get there, drastically different, right? So all of our lives are that way. They're going to be that way. They're going to come and go. I think it's important, if you're going to be able to embrace what God's doing, you have to be able to diagnose what it is. So that's why I want to give you this language of these seven that we're going to go through. I don't think they're the only seven. They're not even the, the like, perfect words. You could change the words. There's nothing like perfect or inspired about this list. But I want to give you some language so that you can look around and with spiritual discernment, diagnose what's happening. And if that's kind of what's happening, the season I'm living through, what God's working on, then these are the things that I probably need to embrace or cultivate or humble myself into. Is that making sense? But I just don't want us to lose, like, um, embracing the season doesn't require that you memorize this list of seven necessarily. Maybe that's helpful to you. Diagn- embracing your season requires diagnosing what you're in, and that can only really come with spiritual discernment. You have to ask him, like, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And sometimes that's going to feel like wrestling, you know, and you got to yeah. wrestle it out. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? I'm so frustrated. It might take a while, but, but God, don't let me be done until you give me some clarity and help me know what you're doing so that I can get your blessing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that's a prayer he'll honor. Eventually, I don't know when, but I think he'll honor it eventually. Making sense still so far? Okay. Um, so here's the first one. Uh, the first of these seven seasons I want to talk to you is preparation. Preparation. Again, You can put all kinds of different words with these things, but I think preparation sums this up, this idea pretty well. Uh, we see this a lot in the life of Joshua. We've talked some about Joshua uh, on and off in here before. Let me scan through a couple of these passages. We're, we're not going to dive deep into every um, reference I list here. We'll read through some of them and draw some ideas from some of them. Um, but I want to look at Exodus 24. There's a, um, it's just a little verse that's easy to miss um, in Exodus 24, but I think it's a big deal. and sets the stage for other stuff we've talked about with Joshua, like in chapter 33, you know, when he's like hanging around Moses and hanging around God's presence and all that stuff. Before that, we see this in Exodus 24, which I think is interesting. Um, let me just, I'll get a running start at verse 1. and we will I'll read long Bible passages until I run out of time, and then we'll go faster. How about that? So, um, 24 verse 1. Then God said to Moses, uh, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You're to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at a foot of the mountain, and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel under his feet. Isn't that crazy? They got to see him. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Wild. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. So they're up there, kind of in his presence, and then God's like, hey, Moses, come a little closer. So everybody else stays, but he says, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. I'll give you the tablets of the stone with the long commands I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us till we come back to you, Aaron and Hur with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. So the story from there is great. But I love that little thing where it's like, okay, first of all, which is, you know, new, I remember stumbling upon this and being like, I didn't realize that many people got that close. You know, I always had this picture of it's just Moses. Mostly it is, but they like saw him and ate and drank with him. So cool. And then God calls him up closer, and Moses brings Joshua with him. But that's really the last we're going to hear about Joshua doing that. Like everything that comes from here. So Joshua, it seems like, is with Moses at least for part of this conversation with God when God's given him the law. But when it comes down, who announces it? Moses. Who implements it? Moses. Who leads through it? Moses. Who holds him accountable? Moses. Joshua doesn't share the credit. Joshua doesn't share the spotlight. Joshua doesn't share the responsibility. He's there. He doesn't get to do it. He's preparing. And then I think, and then like we've talked about in chapter 33 then, Moses has continued to be in God's presence, hearing from him, getting wisdom from him, and Joshua's just like hanging around as close to the tent as he can. Does Joshua go back and lead the disputes? No. Moses even appoints other elders of the people to do some of that work. Don't you think Joshua could have? He's been there the whole time. Joshua didn't. He's waiting. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's crazy. That goes on a long time. Joshua's up there really, really close, but not doing it yet. Numbers 13, Joshua's one of the the spies who goes into Canaan and spies it out and brings back a good report. He and Caleb want to go in. The other people talk him out of it. So even then, he's like, he's kind of getting to do it. He's the one saying we should go. He's been the right-hand man. He gets overshadowed. He doesn't get to make the decision. It's not his decision. Mm-hmm. He's still not leading. Um, in chapter 27 is when God tells Moses he's not entering the promised land, but you've got to have another leader, and God says it's going to be Joshua. So after all that time now, starting here, I think when it's like Moses' aide gets to go be around some of the cool conversations. Years later, like years later, faithfulness later, patience later, God says, that's my guy. And then in Joshua chapter 1, it's like, all right, Joshua, it's your turn. Be bold, be courageous. You've been preparing for this. Now you know what you need to know. You know what my voice is like because you've been hearing it for years. You know what my presence is like because you were there. You know what the promised land is like because you wanted to go in the first place. But he doesn't say, Joshua, go prove the people you were right all along. He just says, I'm with you. Be bold, courageous. Let's do it together. He's God's guy because he was prepared for a long, long time. But I think if Joshua would have, it would have been easy for him to rebel, to be frustrated, to seek after credit, to grasp after position, to grasp after leadership. He was there. Like, Moses, why don't you come down harder on this? I heard what God said, too. Moses, don't strike the rock. I was there. You know, like Joshua could have fought in all kinds of ways. We never see that he did. Other people rebelled against Moses' leadership. Miriam did. Aaron did. Joshua didn't. I think he embraced the season. He knew it wasn't in charge yet. And he was able to embrace the season and then be fully prepared so that when Joshua 1 comes, he leads the charge. Does that make sense? Mm I think it's a big deal. Um, Samuel is another one. We won't read his story. I'll talk way too long about it, but let me talk about it. Um, In 1 Samuel 1, you know, Samuel is dedicated to the temple by his mom, so he grows up in the temple serving under Eli. Remember that story where he hears God's voice calling in the middle of the night and he doesn't know it's him right away, and then Eli teaches him it's God's voice. So he grows up under this guy who can at least teach him something about hearing God's voice and ministering in his presence. And um, you should read um, 1 Samuel 1, 2, 3. Um, When Samuel is patiently waiting under Eli's leadership, develops a knowledge of the voice of God, and then Samuel's teaching and his word go out into all of Israel. But it's that process of waiting. What else we find, though, in subsequent chapters is that Eli was a pretty crummy dad, or at least a very passive one, and his kids were kind of out of control. Eli himself, it seems like was just like like just uh, lazy, self-absorbed, like just not engaged in doing what he ought to have been doing. He gave Samuel some good stuff, but I'm sure Samuel had to go straight to God to get some other good stuff. So Samuel's biding his time for a long time under at least a passive leader and his corrupt sons, where Samuel has been set apart specifically and called by God so that his work can go out and nourish the people. And Samuel's waiting. And I think if Samuel wasn't able to embrace... I'm being molded into something, which I mean, I'm sure he led, he taught, you know, he was doing stuff, but if he wasn't able to embrace the fact I'm not fully in charge, I'm preparing, it would have been wasted. But as it was, Samuel became Samuel, you know, know who anoints David. But he has to be able to embrace that season. Um, okay, so here's a few things I think we can draw from from those guys, a few kind of lessons that we can take. If you feel like you're in a season of preparation, to some extent, I would say you guys all are there because that's the nature of this program. So at least to some extent, this is your season. Um, probably not fully. There's probably others also along with it, but at least to some extent, this is you. So here's the first one. Cultivate patience. Cultivate patience. When you're being prepared by God for whatever's next, and by the way, you, you'll, I think you know this, but you are in a season of preparation. Two years is going to end at some point, and when you get done with that, you are going to feel less like you have arrived than you think you're going to feel. Does that make sense? It'll feel like my season preparation is over and I'm stepping into what's next. And then you'll feel like I'm unsettled. I'm not sure if this is it. And I've got to grow so much. And I'm the new person again. And what do I do? And I wonder if God's building something up. Like it'll kind of keep coming back at you. So cultivating the patience to be able to say, God's not done with me yet. I've got decades left of sanctification, decades left of holiness, decades left of growing, decades left of formation. Embrace it. And when when you're in, I think, a heightened season of preparation, it can teach you patience to the point that for the rest of your life you're more patient and it's not as hard you know in the future um, to wait um, we define patience in our house with the with the kids as waiting without complaining Joe started doing that pretty early on when Elliot was really really young and I think that's a great I think about that all the time You know, I'll talk to them about like you got to be patient you got to wait without complaining can you do that and I'm like teaching my kids and I'm like <laughs> well, you know, um, I just think that's a really helpful definition. So cultivate patience. Next, put in the unseen work. Put in the unseen work. So much of what we do in preparation seasons is not seen, doesn't feel important. People don't notice. us, can feel like it doesn't matter. But it's the unseen stuff. It's what we do in private. It's what we do early in the morning, late at night. It's what we do when nobody sees. That's really building something. That's really preparing. I mean, some of that is integrity, preparation. Some of that is just like, are you gonna have good habits? You know, like nobody's watching to check up how much Bible you're reading, you know, how much prayer you're doing. Nobody's checking all the time, maybe a little. But are you doing it? Like this is preparation, you know, you dig those wells, um, build, those, build those pathways, put in that unseen work. You know, Joshua, we see a couple of those glimpses of him like being around and doing stuff, but there's year, decades. I, I don't know what he was doing you know? Clearly he was doing something to prepare himself to be a warrior, to be a voice for God. He was doing something to get ready. Um, so put in that work, nobody sees. Next, find a mentor or mentors. Is that S there? Um, a lot of times it's not just like, that is my person and I do everything with them and they teach me everything I need to know and I'm with them regularly. Sometimes that happens. Usually I don't think it does. A lot of times it's much more like, Go to somebody and have a great conversation and get from them what you can. And as much as they're willing to give you time, take advantage of it. Um, and then find some other people to teach you some other things. But I think just be willing to go to go get that and realize, I'm in a preparation season, so I'm going to humble myself and go ask. And I'm going to bring a list of questions, and I'm going to go learn everything I can learn. Um, just find a mentor. Uh, find multiple mentors and be willing to go ask. Um, next, practice submission. Practice submission. Um, and again, these are these are skills that are going to translate to every season. But in this season, I think is like the crucible of it forming. Um, practicing submission when you're preparing for whatever's next, or just preparing to, to 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 grow fully into what you're doing now. You know, sometimes it's not something new. It's just like stepping into the responsibility you're in. you're preparing, you've got to practice submission. Sometimes that's just like I want to be in charge and I'm not. And maybe Joshua thought Moses was awesome, but I'm sure he still had to like in charge don't say that don't fight that you know i'm sure he had to force it down maybe joshua was really frustrated with moses sometimes and he's like i can't believe i've to to this guy but that's god's guy you know this is david um when saul is crazy and trying to hunt him down and david has the opportunity to kill him to avenge himself to justify himself and he won't do it because god hasn't made the change yet and david's waiting on god to make the change so i think in this season You you may even feel like, I'm right, they're wrong. I'm mature, and they're not in this area. Maybe you're right. I mean, for one, how can you know? For another, maybe you're right. But if God hasn't made the change, it's not yours to make. You're in a season of preparation, and we've got to practice submission. Um, So that's preparation. Does that make sense? All right, number two. Uh, Wilderness. 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 Uh, you know the story of Jesus in Matthew 4, you know, being tempted. He's led out into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. What are the three, what are the three temptations? Who so can tell me the first one? What's the first thing Satan tempts Jesus to do? Somebody say it louder. Yeah. So what is, like, what is the thing? Turn the, rock Turn the rocks sky. into bread. Yeah. And what does Jesus say? He not but, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. it's good. Okay, what's the second one? Throw yourself. Throw yeah, mm-hmm. yourself from here. God's going to command His angels concerning you, and you're not fight. Strike your foot against the stone. What does Jesus say? You don't, just, you know, don't put the Lord your God to the test. What's the third one? Our, you know, yeah, like you want. yeah, bow down to me, and I'll give you everything. And what does Jesus say? Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> says worship, worship God, and serve Him only, away from me, Satan. Right. So those are the three. Like, feed yourself, and Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but everywhere that comes from the mouth of God. His second one is, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And his third one is, worship God only, right? Those mm-hmm. are the three things. Um, I think there's a, there's a little bit of a similar parallel. And that, by the way, is coming right off of Jesus' well. what has happened right before Jesus goes into the wilderness, you remember? He's baptized, he's baptized, right? So he's baptized, here's the voice of God, goes out into the wilderness and says, I live by the word of God. Isn't that interesting? Okay, Elijah then, in 1 Kings 18-19, to that's when he has the Mount Carmel thing. And the prophets of Baal show down, and Elijah kind of makes fun of them, and they lose, and God burns up the altar, and it's awesome. Um, so then, he's, I think he's kind of thinking, like, everything's great. And then the king and queen get mad at him and try to kill him. So he's like, crap. And so he runs away and goes and hides. And that's when he's like, I mean, he's on the run a long time. And that's the when we get the story after that where Elijah's off in the cave alone and there's the wind and all that stuff and he hears the whisper of God finally talking to him, right? So what is Elijah in, in his, like, he's had this amazing, God showed up. I saw him move. I heard his voice. Now i got to run and go hide for a long, long, long time in the wilderness. And then what breaks that silence? The voice of God. Isn't that interesting? So the voice of God. And I wonder if Elijah in that, in that stretch is just like, God, you just proved yourself there. How come you're not going to prove yourself here? Like, you want me to just go face them and see if you take care of me? Because I don't believe you'll do it. Like, I wonder if that's in Elijah's heart somewhere. Surely somewhere it's in there. Um, I wonder if Elijah's tempted to just, like, is any of this worth it? Like, we just did this whole huge, big thing, and now I'm just on the run again. This is a waste of time. Maybe I just cave. Like, I wonder if in his flesh somewhere Elijah thought that. It's really the same thing, isn't it? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't put God to the test. You gotta trust Him. I know it's been a long time, and you're afraid, and now there's like this gap between amazing spiritual experience and what God's gonna do next. And in that gap, you're like, is He gonna show up or not? Or do I have to like make you prove it? And it's like, hey, how faithful have I been, Elijah? You gonna put me to the test again, or are you gonna rely on who I've been, right? And then that third one, like, you gonna just cave? Or can you really believe God is the only one worth worshiping? Like, Elijah, can you remember what you just saw on that mountain? you think anyone else is worth caving into besides the one who lit a pool of water on fire? Really? You know, like, I, it's all the same temptations in that wilderness season. So here's the first um, blanks there. This kind of wilderness season where you're just, like, wondering where God is, and it's frustrating, and it's hard, and it's scary sometimes. You feel spiritually dry. You feel distance from him. Often comes after spiritual mountaintops. You guys know this. This is almost trite in Christian world. You know, we kind of know it happens. You guys have probably experienced it. Often after spiritual mountaintops, there comes this season of like, man, it was so great. Never been better. Now it's never been worse. How fast was that? It's so frustrating. That's just how it tends to go. I don't know all the reasons why. But, man, he does it a lot. And um, I just wonder if some of it is to say, yeah, it was a mountaintop. You can't live on the mountaintop. Can you live from it? Do you remember what I did? Like, can you lock in your memory what you saw up there and then go carry it out? Or do you need me to constantly blow your socks off? Can you just believe what I did, you know? Um, so it often comes after spiritual mountaintops, which I think is just important to remember. So here's a few things to remember in the wilderness. We just kind of talked through them all. God's voice, remember God's voice. So that, I think some of that is just like, remember what he's called you to. Remember what he said to you. Remember promises he's made. Um, I heard a preacher once talk about, He kind of keeps a journal of, like, specific promises for his life that he feels like God has given. Um, Which, you know, I think sometimes we can—that we can takes a lot of discernment, I think, to know, like, what is my dream for my life versus what's God promised for my life? So you need to discern that. But I think it can be really helpful to say, like, I think God said this to me. I think God wants this for me. I'm going to write that down and hold on to it. And then when he's in hard seasons, he reviews the promises of God and says, this season feels hard, he feels distant, but he said this. He keeps his promises. I'm not giving up. You know, I think that's really helpful. Um, So sometimes you need to remember what he's said, what he's called you to, why he called you to ministry. The stories you guys told about getting here. Remember that story. You know, there's a reason he got you here through that. Um, But that's also, of course, his word he's written down and spoken elsewhere. Like, let this be his voice mediated to us. Which in wilderness seasons isn't interesting. You guys have probably been in wilderness seasons. Yeah? Is that fair to say? When it's just like he feels distant and this feels dry and I'm frustrated and sad and feel alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. You've been in those seasons. Is it hard or easy to read the Bible? Usually hard. Is it really fun and inspiring and awesome? Or like, uh, usually pretty blah? What's the thing that nourishes us in the wilderness? The words that come from the mouth of God. It's just so hard to force yourself to like open it and read it. I think sometimes there's even just like spiritual power in this season of saying, I will open the book. I'm going to read a verse. Just do it. You've got to plant that flag. And say, so I'm not going to give up because how do you survive in the wilderness? It's not by food. It's not by better rhythms. It's not bread alone. It's every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need it. you got to have it. That's how we're going to survive. You know, it'd be like trying to go on a long hike without water. You can't do it. You're going to get sick. You can't do it. We're going to get sick. So we need his voice. Um, second is God's faithfulness. You can, we've talked about all these things. I'm just going to put language to it. God's faithfulness. To be able to remember, I'm in this wilderness season and it's so dry and it's so frustrating, I'm so empty and I miss him. Am I gonna get frustrated or am I gonna feel like, where is he now, what have you done for me lately? Or can I go back and tell the story? Like do I have to prove him again? Jump off a cliff just to make sure he does a miracle? Or am I gonna say, I've seen him do amazing things. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to do an amazing thing today. He's done a hundred amazing things over the past week. He's done a hundred amazing things over the past decade. I don't need him to do a miracle now because I've seen one before. And he'll show up again, but I don't need to put him to the test every day. Let him be faithful. You know, hinge on that um, instead of on seeing a new show every day. And then third, um, I put this word to, I don't know if it's a perfect word, but it was helpful to me when I was kind of thinking through this, is God's majesty. When I'm thinking about that, like, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, Satan tempts Jesus with, like, if you just have, a, like, a brief moment of compromise, you'll get all the power you want. And Jesus says, God already has all the power, why would I worry about it? Mm -hmm. So I think if we can just remember, God is the king of the universe. Mm -hmm. And he has crowned Jesus the king of his kingdom. He has all the majesty. He has all the power. He is worth everything. I may not feel it all the time. Compromise feels easy. Shortcuts feel easy. It's easy to cave to frustration. Or I can remember there really is a king and there really is a kingdom and he really reigns in a celestial city where he's waiting for us Mm -hmm. happily to receive us. He really is worth it and sometimes you just need to picture I, I, the image of God as a king to me has always been one of the most helpful ones, it, even more for me personally I, I tend to default to that faster than I would like to father or other things I don't know that that's right, that's just me I, I think it's helpful for me personally to think of a king on a throne over a kingdom in power and I think sometimes we need to remember that You just need to remember he really is in charge you know, um so, anyway, his voice, his faithfulness, his majesty, I think nourishes through the wilderness. Um, here's the last one that I think is huge. This is often also a season of significant growth. These seasons are hard. They're not fun. They're dry. They're, you know, long often. But it's usually a season of significant growth. I remember seeing, <clears throat> I thought about trying to find it for today, but I'll just tell you about it, and you can find it on your own. You may have seen it. I think this is some documentary somewhere, some nature show, that I think it was in California. I think it was in the Death Valley kind of area. But they just showed like the most barren desert you can imagine. You know what it is. It's just nothing. And, um, and it like never rains and it's the hottest place in America. All this is just like barren, brown. Ugh. But there's a rainstorm, like a crazy rainstorm. And then after that rainstorm, the whole place basically is just flowers that bloom. It's all, it's all seeded. Like seeds from everywhere have blown in this desert. You can't see them because it's just desert. All it takes is a rainstorm. And it blooms like crazy. Um, And I just think that's such a a beautiful glimpse into wilderness season for us. It can just feel arid and hot and empty and worthless and dry and dusty. When he rains, are you going to be ready to bloom or not? And I think if we're not trying to nourish ourselves, if we're not remembering him, if we give in to cynicism and anger and fear and cave and compromise, the rain's going to come, and it's still going to come, and God's going to do what he wants and it accomplish the purposes he sends it for. But I want to be ready. You know, I want to try to get myself into the wilderness and say, when he comes, I'm ready to bloom. Whenever he shows up, I don't know when. It might be forever. But when he shows up, I'm ready, you know. Um, so here's the, the third one. It's really closely tied to that wilderness one. Um, I'll just call this one exile, which sounds drastic, but I think if you've been in something like this, you you probably know what I mean. You felt it. Um, you know, Israel sent into exile for a long, long, long time. Does anybody remember when that was? When did Jerusalem fall to Babylon? Huh? 480? 460? Nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> good, good guesses. When did when did Babylon conquer Jerusalem? Close. 585. 580. 586. Um, so that's when like exile officially began. But this mindset of exile, of just being like sent somewhere you don't belong. I'm not. At, I'm not at home. This isn't where I fit. This isn't where I wanted to be. Um, you know. I don't. We're not like. I don't think it's typical for a Christian to be like, God picks you up and just sends you somewhere to live for 70 years. Like, I don't think that's typical. But I think this idea of sometimes being like, wait, God, I thought you like, had this place that was our land, that was our thing, that was the place I was supposed to be, the church I was supposed to work at, the, like, the you know, what I always imagined and what you felt like God was imagining with you. And then you find yourself somewhere else and you're like, wait, but I said yes to you the whole time and you led me here when I thought we were going to go there. Mm-hmm. So how long were we going to be here for? You know? And there's just kind of like, how did I end up in this place I didn't belong? How did I end up surrounded by this stuff I don't want to be in? You know what I mean? Is that is familiar? Even if you haven't been there, are you tracking? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes this happens. And um, it's really, really similar to, this is your blank, it's similar to the wilderness. I think it's similar to the wilderness where you can kind of feel like stuck and dry and frustrated and like you had this amazing... God was so present, and now where did he go? And how long is this going to be? So it's similar to the wilderness, but here's what I would say. But seek the Lord to know if it's long-term. Seek the Lord to know if it's long-term. And that, I think, is the difference between what, again, these are just my terms, between a wilderness and an exile kind of season. The wilderness is like, hey, go through a hard little season, and then the rain's going to come and nourish you again. An exile is more like, I've got plans for you here. Why don't you go ahead and buy a house? You know, camp out a little bit. Um, that's the difference and I think you just gotta seek him to like God I think the symptoms are similar I feel stuck I feel dry I feel sad where are you I'm frustrated the Scripture is not as powerful as it usually is God where are you is this hang on God is this like a wilderness that I've gotta hold your hand and walk through for a little bit or is this like an exile season where you planted me somewhere I didn't think I'd be planted and faithfulness isn't walk through it and endure it faithfulness is put down roots and make the most of it Mm -hmm. in this season does that make sense the difference yeah um, so I think, I think this is a real thing. I think it's a very real thing that um, you'll probably walk through to some level. So here's kind of my question for this one that, that really hinges on that desert image again. Can you bloom where you're planted? Can you bloom where you're planted? The difference, again, is in the wilderness kind of season, it's like we've got to walk through this until God shows up, and then we're ready to just bust through it. An exile type of season where you feel like he's got you somewhere that doesn't feel like forever— and sometimes it's not miserable. It's not always miserable, I guess. But it could just be like, ah, this isn't forever. So I could either just bide my time or I could make it awesome if it's not forever. But just seek him to know if it's long-term and then say, okay, he's planted me here for whatever reason, whether you love it or not, whether it's forever or five years. I, you know, I don't know. But can you bloom there? And that's what in Jeremiah 29, you know, it's famous for Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you to the Lord, the plans the to prosper you, not harm you, the plans to give you hope in a future. That comes right in the context of him saying, you're going into exile and it's going to be 70 years. But I have good plans for you. And then right after that, he's like, so go ahead and buy houses. Go ahead and get married and have kids. Go ahead and get jobs. Settle in. It's going to be a while. Mm-hmm. So even in God's, in, in their context, it's punishment. I don't know that it's always punishment, you know, when we're being in this kind of season, that this is a spiritual season. I think sometimes it's just God saying, I've got something better for you. You can trust me for a little while. And go ahead and make yourself comfortable. Buy Buy a house get married get a job have some kids not you know literally necessarily but that figurative like plant and be faithful and let's see what happens and sometimes you fall in love with it you know not everybody came home from exile which is interesting like I wonder what happened to them if they're being faithful if they're living with them I guess that's okay sometimes you may go somewhere that feels like he's just sending you somewhere that's not permanent you never wanted to go but if you can say, okay, I know God's got plans for me, he plans to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. And he invited me to go ahead and set up camp here for long term. I wonder what he might do. He might change your heart or he might produce incredible fruit and then send you somewhere else. I don't know. But if you're in one of these long term God saying you're planted, the question is, can I bloom where I'm planted or am I going to resent it the whole time? And if you resent it the whole time, there's no fruit, there's no joy, there's no anything. But if you can say he's got me here, so I might as well be faithful. Let's see what happens, you know? And I think that's the season. Is that making sense, that difference? Yeah. Okay, here's the next one, happier note. Uh, celebration is this one, celebration. I think there are some seasons like this where it's just good, you know? Um, the example I, I thought of for this is Moses and Miriam in Exodus 14. You guys remember what happens in Exodus 14? With what the is it? The they cross the Red Sea. So right after that, Moses and Miriam both break out in these worship songs and lead the whole assembly in worship. It's like a huge celebration. Um, I don't know exactly how long it lasted, but here's what I do know. Not long after that, like the next section in Scripture is, then the people were wandering through the desert for days and didn't have any water, and they started to complain. (laughs) So what I would say is, this is often short-lived. That's your next blank. This kind of season is often short-lived. It's really great. It's really exciting. Spiritual mountaintop. Everything's great. God did a miracle. We celebrated like crazy. And then a few days later, we were like, wait, wait, wait. Things aren't good anymore. I haven't had a drink in a while. It'd be great if we were back at the Red Sea, actually, you know. Like, it can turn pretty quick. This is often a short-lived season. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't live it up. You know, I think especially, maybe not especially, I know in ministry life, because that's what I live. I know in ministry life, sometimes these things can feel far far few and far between. This is a lot of why I think, by the way, our all-staff meetings are the way that they are, so story-heavy so almost like hype-heavy. You know, it's like at the beginning, like, who's got a dramatic baptism story? we got to celebrate! Because most of what we experience is not that, right? Most of what we experience is I tried, they didn't listen. I had seven counseling appointments, and then they left their wife anyway. I poured into them, poured into them, poured into them. They're still drinking their life away. You know, that's more often what happens. So I think sometimes we sit in there, and it's like, would somebody just celebrate for a minute? Let's just celebrate for a minute. Whew, okay, now we're going to wander through the desert and not drink for a while. Cause that's how it is. He's gonna meet us there too. Next time we get together, why don't we celebrate again? You know, I think it's hard. So because it's short lived, but that doesn't mean you don't live it up. Um, I think embrace it, celebrate it. Um, here's what I would say too. Coming off of Moses and Miriam, especially, praise is the lifeblood of this season. Praise is the lifeblood of this season. Not just joy, not just fun for the sake of it, but like praise him for it. And <clears throat> if you read through Exodus fourteen, that's what that's what they do. You know, it's all like praise God for he's done this and he's done this and it's like a worship service that they're having um, so I think praise just needs to infuse that season of life um, something I thought of along with this again was just like the short lived piece of it but it doesn't mean you don't live it up Is like you have one birthday a year right and so that might be a really fun day for you it's once a year you don't get to have more than one of them you know so like into it that doesn't mean you're just like man it's only one there's 364 other days and that's a bummer it's like I don't know you get one Enjoy it. Um, same with celebration. Just it's it's easy. I, some of you probably do this more naturally. Like just embrace the joy of it. Some people, it's a little bit more like, well, yeah, it's great now. Tomorrow's gonna suck, you know. Yeah, but it's great now. Like enjoy this one. You know, celebrate it. Um, and I think that gives us some life because our life is lived in and out of so many of these seasons. So these first three we talked about are all pretty heavy, frustrating, hard. It's like a spiritual fight. So when you get that one, man, latch onto it. Praise the heck out of him, you know? Because it just gives you life that you need. So mm-hmm. I think it's one of the seasons. Questions so far? Should we pause here? Questions, thoughts? What are you guys thinking, reflecting on anything you, you want more on or clarity, or thoughts you've got, or what's on your mind? I have a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can like I don't know if this question's gonna make sense? Go for it. Do you think like different aspects of your life can be in different seasons? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Then that was easy. That <laughs> <laughs> makes so much sense. Right? Great. Yeah, I do think so. Like yeah. I think, I think we come and go in and out of these kinds mm-hmm. of things that happen yeah. in our lives, and I think yeah, it can be it can be multiple at once. Mm-hmm. I think it can be like, and at work I'm feeling like mm-hmm. things are just firing on all cylinders. When I go home, it's like we're fighting, you know, mm-hmm. like fighting for good to happen, yeah. you know, like I think that can be, yeah, different family life can be tough, relatives can be tough, mm-hmm. or good, yeah, yeah. I think it all fluctuates yeah, yeah. And, and again with all this, this is just my thoughts on this, this isn't like the spiritual truth of how it always works, this is just me saying this is some things I've identified and some Bible stories and characters I see and man, I feel like I can live through all this stuff too, so yeah what else is on your mind? Good. Let's do a celebration next week. <laughs> well, we're starting Bible. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, number five, victory. So similar, similar to the celebration one, but maybe less of a like exclamation point, high point, and more of a, like a longer season, I think. A victory is the word for number five. Um, so I think of Samson, who's not really a great example of this, but he's an example of, of what I think I think he didn't embrace it um, his most of his life is like you know snapshot into a life of spiritual victory right and all kinds of weird victories he's got some weird stuff in there too like such a bad temper such a bad temper you know, like, somebody makes him mad. And he's like, I'm going to tie foxes together and light them on fire. Burn down their head, like. <laughs> I don't know how. Do you ever stop to think, how did he catch the foxes? How did he tie them together? Yes. Yeah, it's insane. Know. Samson's, Samson's cri- yeah. So, like, so he did it? What, like, you're going to hold a fox by the tail and another fox by the tail and tie them to, you hold them long enough to tie them together. Yeah. It's insane. It's so many. I, I understand it. It's insane. This stuff Samson did. <laughs> It's just crazy. crazy. He's crazy. The judges are wild. Um, So Samson, you know, even that, the way it's depicted in the story is like he has this supernatural ability to face a situation and conquer it. That's a crazy thing he did. I don't think God was thrilled about the Fox debacle. But the way the story is presented to us, it's like Samson has this supernatural power, this supernatural presence in his life that enables him to win, to experience victory in the things that he, that he faces. I don't like the specifics of some of it, but clearly God is using him to accomplish some things, to drive out Philistines, to conquer enemies who are very evil, you know, that kind of stuff. So Samson's life is marked by victory in all kinds of ways. But what is Samson the person like? Is he somebody who gives credit? Is he somebody who is like humbly trying to use his gift for good? Or is he like this is awesome. I'm going to marry Delilah. You know, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't live into what God's victory could give him. Does that make sense? God's clearly moving in his life. God's clearly doing amazing things in his life. You guys seen? maybe you've lived this. Maybe you've seen people like this where you're just like, man, God has done. You, hear, you may hear somebody's story or something. And you're like, God is so obviously showing up. Like God is, I, I remember talking to somebody who and literally thinking, God saved your life miraculously. And, then, and this, this person would even tell me, and I think God probably wants me to hear this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then, like, do the opposite. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Most people don't get to experience that miracle and this blessing and this opportunity all at once. You're kind of acknowledging it and then just doing what you want anyway. That, in the language of what we're talking about today, is failure to embrace the season. You know, it's like God is God is moving. Step into the next thing. He's going to conquer that hill too. And it's so easy to, I think, one of two things. Either just like not give credit where it's due to say like God is doing amazing things. He is doing it. I am attaching myself to him and giving him credit, giving him praise, giving him obedience. Or it's easy to say, whoa, I can't believe all of this has happened. God is clearly moving but that's kind of scary up there. I don't know if I want to take another step. Like, no, no, no. If you're, if God's doing that, for one, God's always worthy of that, right? But especially if you're seeing God is pieces together, step into what He's got. If He could conquer that hill, He can conquer the next one. I think that's embracing this the season of like He's clearly moving, so move with Him. This I think um, is similar to the Southeast mantra, "Catch the wind," mm-hmm. right? Where it's like if the wind is blowing, we'd be foolish not to try to get on board. Because it's going to go there anyway. So, why don't we go too? You know, that at its best is that idea to say God's moving. Why would we not move where God's moving? That would be stupid and a waste of time and energy and mistrust, you know? So, I think that's what I'm trying to get at with this kind of season. Sometimes it's just like clearly he's moving, clearly he's acting, clearly he's empowering. Are you going to join him or are you going to either doubt him or just think it was you? Um, It's either pride or fear probably can steal this season. Uh, A good example of this is Israel. Open up to Deuteronomy 6. I want to read this passage. It's really cool. Uh, A good example of this at some points is Israel. But again, they don't always do it great either. It's interesting, um, even trying to put this together, trying to think of like, what are the more positive seasons? You know, I don't want it all to be the wilderness stuff because that's not reality. You know, life isn't always lived there. But for one, I think the the really good stuff is more short-lived. I think that it just tends to be that way a lot of our life is lived in challenge. And if you can embrace it, it's not always miserable. You know, it's okay. But a lot of our life is lived in challenge. But for another, there's a lot of biblical examples of things like this where it's like the table is set for something amazing and they walk away from it or their fear steals them from it or their pride derails it. So there's a lot of examples of possibility that aren't fully stepped into, I think, in Scripture. Um, And this is another one. Samson's one, this is another one. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, that's the Shema passage in verse 4. Here is the Lord the, your God, the Lord is one. Um, jump down to, um, well, let's just read the whole thing. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see that? When you experience God's victory, God's power, God's provision in a hundred different ways... God is telling them ahead of time. You know what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to settle in and be comfortable. You're going to be tempted to not fully finish the work I gave you to do, which is what they were tempted to do, and not drive them out. You're going to be tempted to think that you fought pretty hard and earned yourself a nice little piece of land by beating the Canaanites. And God's saying, don't forget what I did. And for one, you didn't plant those things. You didn't build those things. You didn't prepare that land. I did. For another, how'd you get there again? You remember that? Remember the Red Sea and the Egyptians and all that stuff? How'd you get there? I got you there. So when you get there, when you're experiencing victory, provision, after, by the way, long wilderness season, right? So you're going to get to the other side of wilderness and experience the victory of God. Remember who got you there. That's kind of the warning. And did they? Mm-hmm. Usually not, right? Did it go well? Definitely not. But if God is presenting them the opportunity, you're going to experience <coughs> so much of my goodness, just remember that it was me. That's all I'm asking. Don't worship idols. Don't give in to the culture around you, and don't give in to your own pride and your own fear. Remember that it was me. And let's do this thing together. That's the opportunity that's presented. I think God presents us the same kind of thing. But sometimes you just look around and that like, man, clearly he's moving. And I think he would say, I am. Join me. Let's do it together. Um, so here's a couple things I would give you here. If you forget who is responsible for it, the season won't last. If you get who's responsible for it, the season won't last. Um, which is, you know, don't turn the opposite of that and make it like a guarantee from Scripture that like if I praise God, then He owes me a long season of victory. That's not necessarily how it works. But I will say, if you're not if you're not gonna let Him be and do what He wants to be and do, He's probably not going to keep doing that forever. Like there will come a point where it's just like, okay, then maybe you'll remember Me another way. Maybe you'll turn to Me another way, right? Um, so I just think if we're not going to remember who's responsible for it, we're going to lose so much of what's on the table from him. Um, and then the next thing I would say is rehearse the stories of God's work. Rehearse the stories of God's work. And I chose that word kind of on purpose. Um, I thought about just saying remember. It's like, yeah, that, I don't know if that's quite powerful enough. I thought about saying retell, and I think that's close but I like this word rehearse because it's almost like you know if you're in a play as a kid you ever do that mm-hmm. you just like practice over and, over and over and I remember being like I've sung this song so many times and my mom's putting the cassette tape in the van everywhere we go and I'm like I'm sick of this music but I could do it in my sleep some of it even now if I had to the other day I had a song from a play that my sister I wasn't even in it my sister was in and I listened to the cassette tape seven <laughs> million times and the song was stuck in my head you know it was years ago um, DBAB Don't Be a fabricate. anybody know? I'm so old, you guys. Um, but when you rehearse, yeah, don't be afraid, Brigade. Come on. Um, <laughs> I it's so... Rabbit trail. Rehearsing like that, when it's, it's not just like, I remember that it happened, and I know it, and I heard it, and I, yeah, I, I remember. Like, I remember that there's a song. And it's not even just like, you know, say it sometimes, but it's just like, I'm going to practice living like this is true. Um, and just going over and over again, like, wait, wait, wait. Tell me the story again. Let's tell it. Like, what did he do? How did it go? And I'm like, what? Let, me, let me remember. When did God show up with that? When did that envelope appear in my mailbox with $5,000 in it? Because somebody heard we needed a car, and I still don't know who it was. Let me, Elliot, let, Elliot helps us with this. She'd be like, hey, could you tell me the story of when God got us a car? And I'm like, yeah. And a lot of times I'm like, yeah, God provided for us. And then she's like, no, no, no. Tell me the story. I'm like, you're right. Let's tell the story, you know? And I think when you do that, it reminds you how he did it and why he did it and how good he was. And it makes you grateful and it makes you just like, wow. It overwhelms you in a different way. And then I remember it in a different way. And it has power in a different way. And then when I face another situation, it's like, wait, wait, wait. I know what to do. Because I faced this before and I tell the story all the time. I've been practicing for this. Like I, I have a season of need and a season of lack and a season of frustration. I know what to do. I've been practicing. You wait on him, you pray, the church supports you. Will it always be money in your uh, mailbox? No. Will it be people showing up to help you in crazy ways that you don't deserve? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Will it be people praying for you? Yeah, but I mean, it's, but I've been practicing. I know what to do, you know? Um, so I think that rehearse word is so helpful. Yeah, Haley. I feel like Christian and helpful. display like, that yeah. progress. Like, especially when they were like, attempted to fall asleep in the enchanted forest. They were like, let's just oh. really good and and how different is that even than like wait god got us here don't fall into station so no no no. what was it like yeah. you know what did he do it's so different I, I love that it just changes something in us yeah um okay next one we ready mm-hmm. okay um the next one i would call fruitfulness sometimes there's just seasons of fruitfulness which are really great uh, and sometimes it's just like, man, things are, it may not be that high peak of celebration, and it may not even be victory where you look back and like, wow, God really conquered something here. But it's just like, and this is working, you know, it's good. And I've been faithful, and now I'm seeing the results of that. I and mean, we're harvesting, and it's good, you know. Um, these seasons of fruitfulness are really, really good. Um, so Nehemiah, I think, is a good example of this um, in lots of ways. Specifically, I want to look at Nehemiah um, chapter 6 because I think he's, There's a great um, phrase from him that I think helps capture the mindset of this season really well. Um, So Nehemiah 6 is one of the times that that people are opposing his work. Remember, Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the city because God said, like, hey, my city's a mess. Go make a place for my people to dwell so I can bring them back home. So Nehemiah goes and does that. Um, And a lot of people around him don't like it, are mad at him, fighting against him. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, let's just read this because I love it. We'll read through verse 9. Uh, it says, when word came to Sanbalet, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, so this is Nehemiah talking, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So you see, this is a time where Nehemiah is like close to done with the work he set out to do. It's like right about there. He's been working hard. He's got the people rallied. He's been wise in the way he's administering it almost done, finishing it up. And they're like, hey, let's come have a meeting. Um, But then it says, but they were scheming to harm me. So now verse three. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalette sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, in Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. So this is kind of a thread of like, I heard you're trying to take power, Nehemiah, so you better let us help you or else everybody's going to get in trouble. And then verse 8, I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. That's in the Bible. Isn't that great? They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I love that even in Nehemiah, like they're thinking we're going to get afraid, so I just prayed, or that we're going to lose strength, so I just prayed, give me more strength. I love the kind of defiance in him of like, this is working. You've been fighting against me from the beginning. I was faithful through the hard stuff. And now it's the best part. Why would I stop? It's working. It was effective. I was right. You were wrong. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just trying to keep being fruitful. I'm doing what God told me to do. Why would I stop and come out and meet with you? You're making up lies about me. And Nehemiah doesn't say, man, I better have this meeting to set the record straight. And I'm going to bring my people. And let's get it all written down. There's a place for that in certain contexts. But I think, largely, people are like, wait, you're doing something God wants you to do. we gotta, we got to stop them. we got to figure it out. They're, or they accuse you of something you didn't do. And Nehemiah is just like, that's not true. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Like, it's too important to even argue with you. I love that. And I think in a season of fruitfulness, is such a great attitude when it's like, it's working. He went through the hearts. I, I bet if Nehemiah was going to use this language, when he first got there, he could have used, I mean, when he was working for the king, you know, back in, like, Persia, He probably could have used the preparation one, like, I'm trying to be patient, I'm working for this pagan, and that's kind of brutal. Got to prepare, got to submit, right? He could have used the wilderness one. He was literally living the exile one. He he went through all that stuff, and now it's like God was faithful because I was faithful. It's working. It's right. The people are here. The city's done pretty much. Why would I stop? And why would I worry with petty stuff, like people making up things that just aren't true? And everybody knows it's not true. I'm going to finish putting the doors in. I love that. And it just seems like he does, he's not faced. I'm sure it was harder for him at the hard level, but he just seems kind of unfazed. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do that. Because this is fruitful, you know? And so I think there's some great seasons like that when you just get such clarity about what God's called you to do. And you push through it, and you fight for it, and you dream it, and you tackle it. Sometimes it's hard, and then you're just like, It worked. <laughs> We built it. He did it. This is great, you know? And I love that Nehemiah just has the clarity from God to say, this is exactly what I was called to do, so I'm just going to do that. And I think sometimes we need to get his mindset of, like, I'm doing a great thing here. I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. So no, I don't need to go to that meeting. No, I don't need to take on that extra responsibility. That sounds cool or that sounds frightening or that sounds important. It's just distracting. I'm doing what God told me to do. You know, I'm going to keep doing that. I find so much more joy in that. I remember, this is a, an example nowhere near as important as Nehemiah's, but when I um, transitioned to lead the residency for my old role in the preaching team, um, I was still, and even sometimes still, sometimes still, but I would still be invited to a lot of sermon planning and brainstorm stuff, which is cool. I love doing that stuff, and I'm grateful that they would invite me. Um, and I would go partially because there wasn't as much there was no people here you know I was dreaming up a program so um, I had time and I loved doing it so it was great and honored that they would ask as time went on and residents were here and lessons were being taught and so it was happening I'd get those invitations and be like I don't need to go do that you know like you guys are going to come up with a great sermon whether I'm there or not and I'm doing something really important that if I don't do it nobody else will why would I leave why would I take two hours to go do that? And again, nothing bad of it. I would love to do it. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Love it. Honored that they would ask. But I'm doing something really important that's really fruitful, that's really working, that's right where God has me. I'm not going to stop. And I think those seasons are so good when you can just feel like you're right in his will. Does that make sense? Um, so here's some things in those When you find yourself in that where you're just like, I've got some clarity from him and this is working. It's firing on all cylinders. I would say keep your focus. MDMI, I think, does that well, but um, sometimes it takes that for you because sometimes things like, you know, what I just described is really exciting and interesting and appealing, and you want to do it, but it's like, that's not going to help. That's not going to be the most helpful. That's going to take me out of my maximum fruitfulness. I'm going to stay in my fruitfulness, you know, where God's got me, so I'm going to focus. Uh, Maintain priorities. It's really similar, but um, a different kind of angle on it. Don't just, like, focus on what you're supposed to do, but, like, what's the most important thing? Um, when I'm in this season. Because I think sometimes if you're in a season like that where it's just like good and it's working and it's exciting and I'm loving the work I'm doing especially in ministry work. It can be easy then to be like this is working, this is awesome, this is fun, I'm going to get to work and I'm going to work all the time and I'm never going to stop and you just like work, 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 work yourself into a pit. And it's like when was the last time I prayed for this ministry? You know, when was the last time I slowed down enough to remember that if my soul is withering up from lack of biblical nourishment eventually the fruit's going to die. You know, I think it can be so exciting sometimes that we neglect the most important stuff to feed our soul. Um, So maintain priorities. Next, this is like straight from Nehemiah's example, pretty on the nose. Don't let opposition derail you. Um, Sometimes this happens. A lot of times, I think, when things are going really, really well, everybody is just like, wow, things are going well. That's so great, you know, and it's great. Um, Usually we're not facing enemies like Nehemiah was. Sometimes you do have stuff, um, and it's not. You know, again, in my example, that wasn't opposition. Nobody was thinking, let's distract Ben from the residency. They're like, this is a cool opportunity, you know. Um, But spiritually speaking, that would have been opposition to my most fruitful work. I need to not let other people's opinions of how I should spend my time take me away from the time God's called me to spend, you know. Um, and so that can feel like outside stuff or other people vying for things or wanting you to do things or wanting you to be present. Or sometimes, and this get, this takes so much discernment from the Spirit. It's not a super cut and dry thing. But sometimes it's relational even. You know, if people can feel like, man, when was the last time you spent time with me? You just started doing all this other stuff and now we're not, like not even friends anymore. And you might be like, you know, maybe they're right. Again, it takes tons of discernment. It's not black and white. You need to engage that. But sometimes it's like, I think we're friends and you're codependent. (laughs) Or sometimes it's like, we are friends. I'm in a season right now where, like, we're launching groups and I'm writing curriculum and I'm speaking on Sunday and God's really doing something. I don't have time. Like, my free time goes to this, and it needs to right now. That's the season, you know? And that can be opposition. Again, people's intention usually isn't to fight you like these guys, but... Spiritually speaking, it's opposition from fruitfulness. that makes sense? And again, tons of discernment there. There's no, like, if somebody wants you to do something, that's bad. Like, no, discern it. But um, don't just give in to what seems smooth or what seems peaceful or what seems easy. No, it takes discernment. Here's the last thing I would say for a fruitfulness season. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Like, it's great sometimes to just be in a place where, like, man, God is really honoring my work. I'm really loving my work. He's built something around me that, like, is succeeding at a level that I couldn't create this is awesome, like enjoy what he's doing, you know, and keep your soul healthy and keep your soul nourished and just keep walking with him and watch the fruit as long as he'll bring it and then get ready to plant some more and see what he does, um, but just enjoy those seasons. I think they're really, really good. Uh, you ready for the last one? Number seven? ready. Uh, number seven is obscurity. Obscurity. Hmm? I'm sorry. Obscurity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obscurity. Obscurity. <laughs> obscurity. So, what does it mean to be obscure, somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> that can a uh, sense it can be. What does it mean to be obscure? <laughs> unknown. Yeah, like unknown, not noticed. Yeah, off the radar. Um, so obscurity, I think, could be a season. And I think this one probably can fill fill a lot of these ones. This is probably more of a frequent temptation, even than it is a season, but I think some seasons are pretty deep this way, pretty deeply this way. So <clears throat> here's a biblical example I pull for this one is Paul. Um, so Paul, before he's Paul, is Saul. And Jesus shows up to him in Acts 9, blinds him, calls him to repent. He does. He's baptized by a guy who was afraid of him. It's a great story, right? Um, so Saul... Um, pretty soon begins preaching and doing some ministry stuff because God just changed him radically. People believe him, and so he just starts doing stuff. But then we see this great little story in Galatians 1. Um, If you want to open there, I'll read it. Um, I think this is just such a little gem. And later this um, semester, we'll really dive into this uh, in the Paul book that you're going to read, the big Paul book. Um, so I won't I won't say everything I could say about it because I'll let Tom tell you. But um, I love this little section. So Paul in Galatians, quick little setup. Paul in Galatians is his message is kind of being attacked, and people are basically saying, "You're telling us we don't have to be Jews? That's ridiculous." And he's like, "No, you're right. You don't have to be Jews. You're free in Christ. All you need is Christ. He's what makes you free. He's what saves you." But people are arguing that maybe Paul doesn't have the credibility to say that. Who are you anyway? I'm like, why should we listen to you? And he's like, well, I'll tell you why you should listen to me, and I'm right, by the way. So that's a <laughs> Galatians is pretty feisty. Um, so here's, I'll start in verse 11 and get a running start into this little. It's not even his main main point, but I love what he what he sets up. So Galatians 1:11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I don't I don't need to just claim. Great credibility from the rabbis that passed it down for generations. Jesus taught me. God told me. And if He said it, that's the truth. That's what Paul's trying to say. Uh, Verse 13 For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stay within 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went up to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So there's two things Paul's trying to do, I think, in this passage. Too, but Probably more, but at least two things he's trying to do in this passage. One is trying to claim, I'm credible because God showed up to me miraculously. So at the very least, you've got to listen to me on those terms. God gave me something, you need to hear it. Number two, I think he's trying to tell them is, like, if, he's, if his credibility is being attacked, because it's like, well, we've heard about this thing, but you're not even connected to the most important people who talk about it. So how do we know that you even know what they know and that they even care what you say? Like, I, I think there's probably some of that, like, Paul, you're not important or famous or powerful or well-known in those circles. Like, do you really know Peter super well? Like, would he trust you? And I think Paul's saying, like, listen, I have met him, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to get to hear from God, and I went to meet him after So I think Paul's trying to do two things. is kind of derail their attacks on his credibility from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of upsell his credibility in a spiritual perspective. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what he does to do that, the little gem that's hidden in there, is um, after he was converted, in verse 17, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles. So it's like, you might almost say, like, I didn't go try to network. You know, I wasn't trying to, like, get in good with the powerful people. I went out into Arabia. What's Arabia, you know? Like, how would you describe the desert. Yeah, desert? It's like, there's not a lot there. So he goes away alone. It's like, I didn't go meet the apostles. That's why we're not super close, maybe, because, like, I heard from God, and then I went and talked to God, and then I started doing what God told me to do. So if you want to criticize me for not being really well connected, it's because I got pretty well connected to him. So I'll take that. You know, I think I think Paul's okay with that criticism. Does that making sense? I love this passage. So he goes into Arabia, later returned to Damascus. Then, I love this too, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get to know him. I figured, like, I've been a Christian a while, I'm starting to preach, I should probably know, like, the guys who are in charge of it. So I went to get acquainted with him, stayed with him 15 days. So it's like, I, d- I actually do know Peter pretty well, if you really want to know. Spent a couple weeks together. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you, poor God, what I'm writing is no lie. Later he goes to Syria and Cilicia. And then, verse 22, I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. So probably the people in Galatia are like, so these other churches, like, did somebody send you with their authority? He's like, they don't know who I am. Why don't they know who he is? Because he went in the desert for three years <laughs> to be alone and wasn't trying to make all the connections and become powerful. He's like, God appeared to me. I talked to God. Now I'm doing what God said to do. So he is pretty obscure at the time. He's personally unknown to them. Wasn't immediately super connected to the apostles. Didn't have all the right connections. Didn't have all the right <laughs> resume stuff. But he's like, God showed up to me. And I was faithful to him. So I don't care who knows me. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And then now, like, who's the most famous Christian who ever lived? Probably Paul. Did he fight for that? Or did he say, I'm going to go out in the wilderness to make sure I hear God's voice. And then I'm going to just do what he said. And if you know me, great. And if you don't know me, I don't care. I just want you to know him. That's what he aimed at, Um, and I think he embraced obscurity, like an intentional season of obscurity that allowed that obscurity to be a foundation that his ministry built on. Does that make sense? (laughs) So uh, here's kind of your bullet points for this one. Be comfortable out of the spotlight. Be comfortable out of the spotlight. Um, Paul didn't go into Jerusalem right away and say, he appeared to me miraculously. Let me go to the center of this whole thing and become well-known. He just said, "I gotta go. Make sure I know what I'm talking about. Um, So get out of the spotlight." Um, And I would say, by the way, this part of the obscure um, season thing, I would suggest to you um, should be not just a season, but one of those things you learn in this season and take with you everywhere. Be comfortable out of the spotlight, which doesn't mean you run from every spotlight. I think there's, you know, there's stages that are worth speaking on, and God's gonna give you. Paul stepped on all kinds of spotlights. He didn't run from them all. But I think he was very comfortable not being in it. He didn't pursue it. He didn't chase after it. That wasn't what started. What started for him was years in the desert. And then God used it how he wanted to use it. Um, Next one, dig deep roots. Dig deep roots. Again, um, Brother Wright will probably give us more of a glimpse into this later. But I just wonder if part of what Paul was doing out in the desert was like, I've got to restudy this whole thing. Like, nobody knew the law better than him. So he's like, I've got to go restudy Scripture and make sure I get it. And I would imagine, I mean, why do you think his letters are just laced with Old Testament references and laced with like theological connections that we're still trying to piece together? I think it's because he took what he knew and then he dug down deeper and said, how does the gospel influence and inform and change all of that? Oh, I get it. Let me write Romans that's going to confuse everybody for the rest of their life. But he had this depth. He had this depth of understanding. And, of course, inspiration from the Spirit. But I just wonder if in this season when he's like, I don't need to become popular with the important people. I need to understand what I believe. And that produces the Bible, you know. Um, So dig deep roots. If you're in a season where you're just like, I feel like I have so much more to offer and people aren't giving it to me, or I feel like I could do this thing and it's not my time yet or maybe you're not even anxious about it and you're glad of just like I don't want that yet you know there's probably a mixture of all of that in all of us in lots of different times um, I would say to you the call to ministry is never or well it is not necessarily a call to publicity public speaking teaching it's not necessarily ever that for some people it is the call to ministry always I, I think will involve some kind of season of being willing to embrace obscurity and say the importance The visibility does not matter. Can I go dig depth that is worth sharing someday, later, with whoever will listen? Maybe it's two people, or maybe it's a stage. It doesn't matter. But the obscurity has to be part of it, or the roots won't be deep enough. They can't be deep enough. It's the same reason on a smaller scale, science and solitude is a regular habit, is unavoidable, like crucial. You won't have anything worth sharing if you don't dig deep. So seasons of just being able to say, I don't have to be known, I don't have to be seen, I don't have to publicly contribute. Nobody has to know I'm here. I'm just going to dig down deep. I have some free time. Man, I wish that I could be doing whatever cool meeting, or I could read some more. I could memorize some more. I could study some more. I could journal some more and get those roots down deeper in the season of obscurity so that when it's my turn, I have something worth saying. Um, Next, this is often also a season of pruning, I think. If you're in a season kind of like this where it's like, nobody knows who I am, nobody cares who I am, what am I going to say? I don't know, would anybody listen if I did say anything? Probably not. Those kinds of seasons I think are also really um, tend to be pruning seasons. And by that I mean like God trimming out stuff that's unnecessary. And sometimes that's bad stuff. You know, that it's like he's got to prune off yucky stuff that's got to get out. Sometimes it's like, I'm way too busy doing awesome things. But if I'm really gonna dig deep roots, I can't spend all of my time playing every sport that I could play three nights a week and hanging out with friends the other two nights a week and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you're that busy all the time, your roots aren't gonna get very deep either, even if nobody knows or cares who you are. Obscurity by itself won't fix it. Obscurity with intentionality will produce fruitfulness. Yes. Does that make sense? So I think sometimes God's like, okay, you've got time, you've got space to become the person I want you to be. Leverage it. Let me prune out some unnecessary busy. Let me prune out some unnecessary habits. Let me prune out some unnecessary, like, maybe that TV show is awesome. Maybe three hours of it a week, isn't it? You know, Um, he may just need to prune back some stuff so that you've got more time to flourish. And um, that's not, that's painful. You know, pruning is cutting. It's painful, but it's fruitful. That's why you do it. Um, Next, I've kind of said this already, but this is laying a foundation for the future. Seasons like this are laying a foundation for the future. Um, I think I can say this and, and really mean it. Anything that I feel like I've contributed or taught or done or led that was worthwhile or helpful to anybody or really produced fruit came somewhere along the line from a season of nobody knows what I'm doing. Nobody cares that I study that. I'm digging into this, and I have nowhere to put it. Like, I'm going to study something, not because I have a lesson to teach, but because I need to learn it. Um, I'm going to learn this lesson not because I want to give it to somebody on a Thursday, but because my life is really hard right now, and I won't survive next week if I don't. It's that stuff that nobody sees, nobody cares, nobody's asking, that somewhere along the line becomes fruitfulness that's worth sharing, that's worth building on, that's worth leading from. Does that make sense? I, I really don't think there's anything I could think of that was like really worthwhile that I had to offer the kingdom, that didn't come from. Nobody knows, nobody cares. Am I going to be faithful with little things and be who God made me to be, whether anybody notices or not? That's where it, that's where it comes from. Um, so I think this is a hugely important, beautiful, beautiful season that leads to so much fruitfulness. Okay. Okay. Um. Let me pray for us today. Lunch is here. I'll pray. We can eat. If you guys have a question want to talk more about it, we can sit by me at lunch. That'd be great. Or if you want to talk about something else, more lighthearted at lunch, sit by me at lunch. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, let me pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for leading us in and out of so many different seasons in this life. Um, these and more and others. Um, thank you for um, being right there with us even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or when we're beside still waters and quiet pastures and a beautiful meal prepared for us. Um, wherever we find ourselves, we know you're there. We know you're with us. Whatever season we're in, no matter how long or short, frustrating or exciting, you're right there in it. So thank you for being ever-present help in times of need. Um, thank you for being the king that reigns over the storms. Thank you for being the one who brings um, just heavy rain on desert Plains and produces flowers that we can't imagine. Thank you for being the one. Um, Even Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Thank you for sometimes being the one who leads us there. I don't want to be there. I don't like being there. It's not fun to be there, but the other side of it is so worth it. So thank you, even sometimes, for being the one who leads us into the places that we don't want to go, but we need to go. Just thank you for being wiser than we are, for having a longer view than we do, so that you can give us what's best. Um, I just want to say for myself and hopefully on behalf of this room, I, I really want to believe this. Um, we believe that you have good intentions for us. We believe that you have good things in store for us. We believe that you want what's best for us, which doesn't mean that every moment will feel the best, um, but we believe that you want what's best for us. God, I believe that. Help me overcome my unbelief of that. Um, I pray that our lunch would be nourishing to us, that our conversation would be encouraging to us, and uh, that by the power of your Spirit working in each of us, we become more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, Amen.